0: Well, good evening, everybody. Let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 27, Acts the 27th chapter. We're going to read kind of some action-packed verses in Acts 27 in just a moment. And I really right now need to ask all of our young people to please be getting a Bible open to Acts chapter 27. and Be giving careful attention to the things that we're going to be uh, reading and discussing and thinking about tonight. And We're going to start in Acts chapter 27, but then we'll jump off into a number of other places. As you're turning there, I will echo the welcome that's been extended to you already this evening. It's great to see everybody uh, again tonight at the conclusion of uh, what has been, uh, to me, just a very beautiful Lord's Day. Uh, exceptionally warm here for early February and just been a, been a nice day all around. And I, I know I don't sound good and I still don't entirely feel good, but it has done my soul a lot of good. Uh, to get to be here today and to be encouraged by you and to uh, offer to you whatever encouragement I could bring. I know that there are lots of other folks who are dealing with this crud uh, and have been for the last uh, couple of weeks, if not longer. And so I sympathize with you. And and, and again, I'm encouraged by you, the fact that you, you chose to be here even if you didn't feel 100% yourself. So thank you for being here. In Acts chapter 27, Luke tells us here about this terrible storm at sea that he and the Apostle Paul and all of the other travelers on board that they experienced as they were on this journey toward Rome. I want to pick up that reading in the middle of the story in Acts 27, beginning in verse 18. In Acts 27, verse 18, Luke says, Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Verse 20 now. When neither sun... Nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay upon us. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Now that passage is actually provides us a great deal of insight as to what life was like in the first century. There are no GPS systems. There's no global positioning satellites. There's no Coast Guard that's going to come helicoptering in to save these folks. In this world, what you need is you need stars to be able to steer by. Which means that if a big storm comes along, as comes along in Acts 27, and you are unable to see the sun or to see the stars, then that means you have no way to get your position fixed. You have no way to navigate. You have nothing to guide you. What it means is is you're just going to be lost. You're going to be lost in the storm. This evening, I'd like to borrow that idea. I'd like to turn it into a metaphor to say very candidly to all of our young people in attendance, young people, storms are coming. Whether you are maybe in the middle school age bracket, maybe you're in the high school age bracket, maybe you're in the college age bracket, I want you to know this evening that storms of faith are coming your way. There are many young people who we look at them and we admire them because they they seem to have it all in their early days when they're in elementary school age and maybe even in those first couple of years of junior high age. These are the young people who come to church regularly and they take such an interest in what's going on and we look at them and we say, Man, those are going to make fine young disciples, fine young Christian men, fine young Christian women one day. But then... Then they hit those formative teenage years. They get into upper middle school. They get into high school. They get into college. And out of nowhere, maybe kind of like a lightning streak in the middle of a storm, this terrible storm enters into their pathway. And before they know it, they have made a total shipwreck of their faith. I'm saying to everybody this evening, that 100% of our young people will encounter storms of faith. Young people, your faith will be challenged and it will be tested. And for some of you, that faith may be swamped and it may end up being lost. I'm thinking, for example, of a college professor who mocks the Christian faith and ridicules it. And that has a great effect on who and what we become. I'm thinking of maybe a friend who wields great influence over us and says, hey, you ought to come and worship with us over here at the new hip church downtown, the community church, the church that doesn't even have a denominational tag on it, doesn't even really have a title, come and worship with us. It's so cool, it's so neat, you want to be there. Or I'm thinking maybe about a boyfriend or a girlfriend who wields way more influence on your decision making than the Word of God does. I'm talking about young people who at one time in their life, for them, Christianity, it was was super important. They valued it. They loved it. They lived their lives by it. But then, then one day they ran into one of those storms. And on the other side of it, they were no longer serving Jesus Christ. I've known those young people. What do we do about that? What do we do to help our young people to prepare for when those storms come? Well, I'm going to do my part, at least a little part of that this evening, by giving our young people some stars that they can steer by. Pardon my continual use of astronomy and stars and space sort of things. I've just got that fresh on my mind from this past week. But this evening what I want to do is I want to share with you three unchangeable truths that will help you to weather whatever storm comes. These are three principles that I believe you can always count on. Three biblical principles that you can just always keep coming back to. Three principles that it does not matter how dark or how windy or how rainy or how stormy the circumstance may be. If you will just look intently for these guiding stars, I believe you can navigate safely to the other side with your faith in I want you to write these things down in your Bible. Maybe make a note of them in your phone. Put them someplace useful for them. Store them away in the filing cabinet of your mind. But let's lock in on these three guiding stars this evening. You ready for that? Guiding star number one. When the storms come, guiding star number one I want you to remember is that there is only one church. Can we put some Bible under that? Start with me in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, young people, there the Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians 4 and in verse 4 in this list of the seven ones, in Ephesians 4 and in verse 4, Paul begins by saying there is one body, one body. If you maybe just look back across to chapter 1, if you want to know what that one body is, chapter 1 says at the end of verse 22 that Christ has given given His head over all things to the church, which is His body. So when the Bible talks about there's one body, the Bible's saying there's one church. Let me add to that what Jesus says in Matthew 16. In Matthew the 16th chapter, in this famous interaction that Jesus has with the apostle Peter, Peter makes the, the great confession, and the response from Jesus is this in Matthew 16, 18. I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. One more in this connection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm reading in verse 10. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and in verse 10, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind, In the same judgment. Now, why is this star so important for young people? Well, this star is important because because our world doesn't want you to believe this. Our world does not want you to believe that there is just one church. What do we hear in the world all the time? We hear things like, all churches are basically the same. One church is as good as another. Just go to the church of your choice. Hey, we all believe in the same God. We're, we're just taking different paths to get there. Do you do you hear it? Actually, I should snap on this side. That's my side that I can't hear. Do you hear it in that language there? What we hear constantly in our world is that there are numerous churches, many churches, and that's a great and that's a wonderful thing. But But, but wait a minute. Didn't we just read a handful of verses where the Bible says that there's only supposed to be one body? Didn't Jesus just say, He's not building many churches. Didn't Jesus say He's building His church? In fact, in that last text, in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10, division and the idea of, of separation and having all these different beliefs and different practices, Paul condemns and rebukes that. The world doesn't say this, but the Bible says this. Let's think about this for just a second. What if all of the different religious groups that are all kind of huddled under the big umbrella of Christendom, what if they all just stripped away everything and just simply did what the Bible says? What would happen? What if all of the, the innovations and all of the man-made doctrines and all of the unscriptural practices, what if all of those things were rejected and forsaken and everybody just did what the Bible teaches, what would happen? Well, what happened is, there'd be just one church, wouldn't there? It's exactly what would happen. There'd be one church. All churches would be the same. There'd be no more unauthorized forms of worship. There'd be only one plan of salvation that is taught. There'd be no more human creeds or human titles or human structures and organizations. We could actually have the unity That Jesus prayed for so earnestly all the way back, all the way back before He went to the cross. But if we're ever in a situation, young people, where there's talk of more than one church, oh man, all kinds of churches out there, guess what? That ought to be an immediate red flag for us. Jesus established just one church. It is the church that you can then read about beginning in Acts chapter 2 and all throughout the book of Acts. That's where you'll read about that church in great detail. In fact, whenever that church got got out of line, or there was some fishy stuff going on, or maybe kind of started veering off this way and off the path, what happened? Well, usually the first thing that happened was an apostle showed up to correct what was going on. And then later on, throughout the rest of the New Testament, whenever a church was getting a little sideways and going a little bit this way, what happened then? The church got mail they got a letter from an inspired apostle and said stop doing that or you need to be doing more of this because Jesus says Jesus wanted only one church. And look at what happens when you don't do that. Look in 2 John, please. In 2 John chapter 1, only one chapter in 2 John. In 2 John, John says that this is what happens when churches do not conform To what Christ established. In 2 John chapter 1, verse 9, John says, Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. But whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Everything, you see, it is weighed according to the teaching of Christ the teaching of the new testament are we following the bible are we being like that one church that is described in the scriptures that means young people that as you grow up and as you go off to college somewhere maybe far away or maybe you move out of the house you get a job and you're now living on your own somewhere that means then that there's really there's really only a couple of questions a couple of rules that you need to follow for figuring out where should I go to church. And those rules really are not all that hard and they're not all that complicated to figure out. Rule number one is, does this church teach and practice the truth? That's rule number one. Is this church teaching and practicing the truth, all of the truth that is found in the New Testament. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for that one church that you can read about in the Bible. That one church that Jesus promised to build. If I'm checking out churches at some point in my life, rule number one is, does this church teach and practice the truth that's revealed in the New Testament? You know what rule number two is? Rule number two is, never ever break rule number one. That's rule number two. You do not ever break rule number one under any circumstances, ever. You do not break rule number one, for example, when your boyfriend boyfriend doesn't particularly like the church where you attend and he wants you to stop going there. Don't do that. You do not break rule number one. When you go off to college or you move far away somewhere and the local church in that town or in that city, it's it's maybe not as big, it's maybe not as vibrant as the lakeside church is. And so you decide, well, well, I'll just go to this denominational church over here. It's kind of, sort of the same. No! You continually and constantly and always judge and base everything on, is this the one church that you can read about, described in the New Testament? You do not ever break rule number one because you always want to be a part of that one church that Jesus built. Just remember, there's only one of them and don't you ever, ever forget that. That makes that a guiding star, doesn't it? How about another guiding star? Guiding star number two. Scripture is the total and final and full revelation from God. Let's put some Bible under that as well. Look with me in Jude. If you're here in 2 John still, just maybe flip a page. In Jude chapter 1 verse 3, Jude says this. In Jude 1 and in verse 3, he says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude uses that expression, the faith. He's talking about the system of doctrine, the gospel. He's talking about Christianity and all that that entails, that it is once for all delivered. Let me add to that, 2 Timothy the 3rd chapter. Would you find 2 Timothy chapter 3? This is that wonderful passage where Paul describes the great power of Scripture. He talks about what Scripture does and how Scripture is able to do that. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, this is verse 16. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, Paul says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. And it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Verse 17 now. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now oftentimes when we read that passage, we put the focus on the kind of the top half of that. We focus a lot on verse 16. Verse 16 talks about, and it affirms, the inspiration of Scripture, that it's breathed out by God. And then the rest of verse 16 talks about the great practical value of Scripture, how it it trains us and corrects us and rebukes us and all of those other good things. But as we're thinking right here tonight, I really want us to focus on the expressions that are used in verse 17. Because what I believe is one of the really big gaps between real, genuine New Testament Christianity and much of what masquerades as Christianity out there today Is right here. It's right here. It's a difference in understanding on God's revelation. The question is, is there continuing revelation from God even today? Everybody would agree, oh yeah, we've we've got some of God's revelation. That's the Bible. God spoke that. That's the Word of God. He inspired it. He breathed it out. God spoke through the Bible, but, but is it possible that maybe God's continuing to speak today? And there are, of course, many religious groups in our world today that would say, absolutely, God is still speaking today. The head of our church, he is the very instrument of that revelation. Lots of religious groups have a head, some kind of a figurehead, who is said to have received ongoing messages and revelations from God. Case in point, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons. The Mormons believe that Joseph Smith was given a whole set of books that were then placed on equal footing with and, in some cases, almost revered even more than the Bible. And that, of course, is all bound together and is known to us as the Book of Mormon. Of course, Joseph Smith is not the first and he is not the only. Muhammad, who founded the religion of Islam, he taught that he received a revelation from God. He then wrote that down. It then became the book that was known as the Quran. So there are plenty of churches And there are plenty of religions who believe that God has spoken in the Bible. But you know what? God has also spoken again through special prophets and through people who have been chosen throughout time to deliver new messages to people. And in fact, that God is still speaking today. And many people believe that even if God's not sending those messages through the the figurehead of that church or that organization, there's lots of just individual people who think and who say, I personally am getting revelations from God. People who say things like, God laid this on my heart. God spoke to me. I heard him. I heard his soft voice in the middle of the night saying things to me. Lots of people believe that in some way and in some fashion, God is still revealing new things about his will even today. There's a lot of bad consequences of that. One of the biggest bad consequences of that is that just creates all kinds of religious confusion. In fact, that's part of the reason why we have so many different churches in our world today. Instead of just sticking with the Bible, we got people who we got the Bible plus this book over here. Got the Bible plus the Book of Mormon. Got the Bible plus the Koran. Got the Bible plus all these other revelations. But that's why, as you're looking now at 2 Timothy three and verse seventeen, that's why that verse is so important. Paul says in verse seventeen, he says in verse sixteen, Scripture comes from God. He says it has great practical value. But then in verse 17, he says that Scripture makes the child of God, the man of God, the woman of God, it makes us complete, whole, total. It makes us equipped for every good work. I want you to please notice that if there is a need for more revelation, If God must continue to speak and reveal His will to humankind, then what that means is, is that means that the original recipients of this letter that Paul wrote, the people who lived in New Testament times, the people who did not have the revelation that was given to Joseph Smith, they did not have the revelation that was given to that huckster that we see on television, they did not have the revelation that was given by this guy or that guy or that woman, what that means is, is that means that those New Testament Christians there, They were incomplete. They were not equipped for every good work. Evidently, they needed this book over here that had not yet been written. They needed this revelation from this latter-day prophet who had not yet been born and not yet spoken. What that means is that that means that verse 17 was lying to those people. But that's absurd, isn't it? What we know and what we believe is that 2 Timothy 3 verse 17, it is God's promise to us, young people, That this book is all we need. That's what you need to know from 2 Timothy 3.17. This book, the Bible, it contains everything that we need. Which means when the storm comes, when somebody comes along and they start talking about additional revelations, we need to just know right away that they're wrong about that. They are mistaken about that. We know that God has delivered the faith... Once for all. We know that the Old Testament Scriptures and the New Testament Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, they provide us all that we need. There's not been anything left out. There's not anything more that needs to be said. God is very capable if He wanted to say more. But He did not. He limited it to these 66 books. What we have in this bound volume, it makes us complete. It equips us for every single good work that God wants us to do. And that means, young people, when someone tries to persuade you with, oh yeah, the Bible, that's some good stuff, but let me tell you about this over here. Let me share with you this other extra-biblical information that I've got. This other information that I'm going to present to you as being a message from God, what you need to do is you need to latch on to this guiding star and you need to say, nope, I've already got the message From God. It's all that I need. And it's all that you need. That is an unchangeable truth. That is a guiding star. And don't you ever forget it. Which brings me to this third and final guiding star this evening. Guiding star number three. The Bible triumphs over every blow that the skeptic makes. We live in a time of just incredible skepticism. In fact, we live in a time of incredible cynicism, particularly toward things of a religious nature and towards things that wear the name of Christianity. There are, of course, in our society, very militant atheists. I don't think that there's many, but there are some who are very loud and they have been given and they have built for themselves the biggest platforms from which to speak. They spew their venom, they spew their lies on on all the talking head talk shows and news shows. They have millions and millions of followers on social media who follow and breathe and share and post all of the stuff that they put out. In addition to that, you can turn on your television, maybe to the Discovery Channel, and there's just, it seems, a never-ending stream of documentaries that are put out there to tell us about the real story about Jesus or the secrets behind the Bible, or what you don't know about the apostles. And of course, in addition to that, there's lots of best-selling books that come out that are designed just specifically to create doubt and to create suspicion about Christianity. I think about the book The Da Vinci Code several years ago and the damage that it did, all of the sequels that went along with that. It popularized all kinds of conspiracy theories about the Bible and all the Bible. The The Bible's all corrupted. Or you know the church, the church is ran by the Illuminati. Or Jesus, Jesus, Jesus was married, don't you know? He had a secret wife. In the blizzard of all of these lies and nonsense, it's really easy, especially as a young person, to get sucked into some of that. And as you get sucked into some of that, over time what can happen is, is you can end up losing your faith in that storm. That's why you need to grab a hold of this guiding star right here and right now. And it comes from 1 Peter chapter 1. Would you find 1 Peter chapter 1? Peter actually quotes here the very passage that I preached from this morning. Peter quotes from Isaiah chapter 40. And as he speaks here about the nature of God's Word, he says this in 1 Peter chapter 1. These words will sound very familiar to you. 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 23. Peter says, "...since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all of its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord remains forever." And this Word is the good news that was preached to you. Peter affirms what Isaiah first said, that God's Word will endure. And why? Because it comes from God. That's what makes it endure. This book is not of of human origin, of human thinking. And it is that endurance that Peter wants us to rest our faith on. Peter wants us to be absolutely certain, ironclad, that the Bible is not going to just be wrecked and demolished because some cocky college professor gets up in front of his class and he starts poking at it and ridiculing and mocking what the Bible says. The Bible's not going to be wrecked. The Bible's not going to be destroyed just because some talking head on television started saying and asking some seemingly difficult questions about This passage, harmonizing with that passage. And well, we didn't have an immediate answer for that. That's not going to destroy the Bible. Peter says that isn't ever going to happen. And you want to know why? Because this is God's Word. And as such, it will always, I repeat, always stand. What we need to remember, young people, is there really ain't nothing new under the sun. There ain't any question that you might ask or you hear somebody else ask that hadn't already been asked before. And there isn't really any doubt that hadn't ever been raised before. And most importantly of all, we need to remember that there are reasonable answers to every question and to every doubt. I believe that with all my heart. I want to say it again. There are reasonable answers to every question and to every doubt. When the Bible is taken as a whole, when it is treated seriously and fairly, when it is read in its context, there are no factual errors, there are no mistakes, there are no contradictions. When someone comes to you and asserts that there are mistakes or errors or contradictions, you need to know that if you will do some study, if you will do some research, if you will put in some effort, if you will ask some questions... Everything will be harmonized. How do you know? Because Peter says this is the living and abiding Word of God. It cannot be destroyed. I want to tell you this evening that the key to all of that is you've got to put in that effort. You've got to actually go and get those answers. You've got to be willing to put in that work. Would you look with me in Luke chapter 24? In Luke chapter 24, Peter does exactly what I'm talking about. In Luke chapter 24, some women come to Peter with a big story. I mean, it's the kind of thing that probably would have created lots of suspicion, lots of doubt. I'm really not sure about all of that. The tomb is empty, they said. But rather than just accept what somebody said about that, I want you to notice what Luke 24 tells us. Luke 24 verse 12. In Luke 24 and in verse 12, but Peter... Rose and ran to the tomb. Do you get it? Peter said, I want to see for myself. I want to check that out on my own. I'm going to go look and I'm going to see. And what I want to know from you young people is: are you going to be willing to do that? When somebody comes to you and they say, Oh, the Bible. The Bible's just a book full of myths. And fables and fairy tales. What I want to know is, is will you rise up and go see whether that's true or not? Will you investigate? Will you ask? Will you seek? Will you knock? Will you discover? Will you find out? Or instead, will you just accept what that person says and say, well, yeah, I guess you're right. Man, I was so dumb to believe the Bible. Man, my parents force fed me that junk all while I was a kid. I was so foolish to believe that all my life. Won't you listen to me? There are lots of people who are going to say lots of bad things throughout your life about God and about the Bible and about the Lord's Church and about God's Son and about Christianity as a whole. And you're going to have to decide: Am I going to do the work to honestly search for the truth? If you do that, then I believe what you'll find is that the Bible. Always triumphs in the end over the blows of the skeptics. That, I believe, is a fixed star that you can navigate by. Now let me give you one final passage. It's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, somebody actually might be wondering, Josh, you know, you began this lesson with that story in Acts about that ship that was out on the sea and everybody on board, the problem was they couldn't see the stars. So, Josh, why are you preaching about guiding stars when the very text that you began with, the stars weren't even visible? Well, because, because stars only work, young people. They only work if you can see them. And this text in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is going to say that sometimes sometimes clouds get in the way of us seeing those stars. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and in verse 10, as he talks here about wicked deception, the activity of Satan. He says, with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Sometimes the reason that people can't see, sometimes the reason that young people can't see those guiding stars that we've talked about today is because they're just all clouded over. Well, how do they get all clouded over? What's the problem there? Well, the problem there is a lack of love for the truth, Paul says. The problem is sometimes young people love their boyfriend or they love their girlfriend more than they love the truth of God's Word. Sometimes young people love the acceptance of their peers more than they love the truth. Sometimes young people love their their lofty goals and ambitions and dreams of being wealthy or being famous or having all kinds of achievements in their life. They love that more than they love the truth. They lose the star because they're no longer looking for the truth. That's what 2 Thessalonians 2 describes. And what 2 Thessalonians 2 affirms to us is that these guiding principles that we've talked about tonight They will help you, but they will only help you if you love the truth. Now, there's a lot of other guiding stars that I could have included in this lesson. In many ways, this morning's sermon is probably the principal guiding star. And that is, there is a God, He is alive, and He is great, and He is powerful. You need to get that one fixed in your mind. I don't care what people say. I don't care what anybody says to you. I don't even care what happens in your life. You cannot ever forget that there is a God. We could have added to this list as well that Jesus is His Son and that He died on the cross for your sins and that He rose the third day. And because of that, you have the opportunity to be forgiven of your sins. Again, I don't care what people say. I don't care what happens in your life. That cannot change. It does not change. It will never change. Those unchangeable truths. There's a lot of those guiding stars that you ought not ever forget. The reason that I am sharing these things so passionately with our young people this evening is because I do have a great heart of concern and love. For the young people here. I shared this back during our winter meeting a couple weeks ago. This is a post that a young sister in Christ who lives in the Lexington area. She made on Facebook earlier last month. At one time, young people, she was just like you. She grew up coming to church, going to Bible class, hearing the same kinds of sermons that you've heard worshiping in the same way that we've been worshiping this very day. She was given all the advantages, given all the teaching and all the instruction that she needed to become and turn out to be one of those fine, strong disciples for the Lord. But then she started to experience some of those storms. She ended up going off to college. She made some new friends. And now, this, I know the print is small for those of you in the back, but what this is is her 15-point manifesto for why now she is no longer a Christian. And maybe the one that is most startling to me was this last one, number 15, where she says, it takes a lot for a person to leave a religion that they followed their entire lives. So no one will change my mind. Getting an education, going to college, and gaining more life experience has opened my mind up a lot. She assures us, I wasn't brainwashed by college. I just learned a lot about a wide range of topics that led me to my conclusion, this is why I am no longer a Christian. What happened with that young lady is that somewhere along the way, she lost her love for the truth. Because while those guiding stars were always there, they never went away. Her lack of love for the truth caused them to be clouded over. The devil capitalized on that. He pounced on that like the roaring lion that he is. Young people, don't let that be you. Do not allow the storm clouds to obscure your vision. Determine right now. That you're going to have a love for truth so that when the storms do come, you're going to be able to see. Now we extend the invitation of Jesus the Christ. And the invitation really is just made up of some of those guiding stars. Some of those eternal, unchangeable truths that a person needs to accept, need to understand, need to believe so that they can then act upon them. It begins with a belief that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God. It then is followed by confessing that openly before others. Yes, do believe Jesus is God's Son. There's enormous and incredible evidence to believe that to be so. It continues on with repenting, making the decision to change and turn away from sin and to start a new life living for the Lord. And then to be baptized in water, to be united with Christ in that watery grave where we can then rise up to be something entirely new. The Lord changes us. We then become a Christian. We become one of His children. We get added to His family. We are now part of that one body. We are now part of that one church. And we can then begin that glorious journey toward heaven, serve, and as we live here upon this earth, seeking to live for Christ and to help bring others to Jesus as well. Can we help you to begin that process tonight? There may be a young person, and we've got some young people here, who who I know, you've got to be thinking about where you are spiritually. We've got young people here who, we use that phrase, the age of accountability, there's no doubt in my mind, you are right in the middle of that age of accountability phase. What's it going to take to get you over that hump? What's it going to take to get you to respond to the glorious call of the gospel of Jesus Christ? You maybe don't want to do that publicly. Maybe you got a fear thing going on and the thought of walking down the front just absolutely frightens you down to your very core. It's okay. That's okay. You won't wait until after services is over. I'm pretty confident the Lord will allow us that additional time between the invitation song and the amen to allow people to scatter out. You come and you let me know. You let your mom and dad know. You let somebody know that tonight I want to become a Christian. There is no reason to delay any longer. This is the day that the Lord has made. Why don't you take advantage of that right now through your obedience to the gospel of Christ. If we can help you to become a Christian, brother and sister, if we can help you to be a better Christian, whatever your need may be, you simply need to make that known by coming to the front while we stand and while we sing.